Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you as we examine God's Word together. This past week, look what I unearthed out of rummaging through boxes. I found this, and you're wondering, what is that book? This is my yearbook from my senior year of high school. And so, yes, I graduated from Brexville, Broadview Heights High School. Are there any former B's out there? Yes, there's a B right there. Yes. Maybe some who are watching, too. So I graduated in 1993, and if you're doing the math on that, you're probably thinking, how old is this guy on the stage? You're thinking, 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 I am 45. And so contained in this yearbook, it's like a time capsule as you walk through it. Like, what was going on in 1993? And in this, it tells the story of a diverse group of people, students, all united under the banner of going to the same school in hopes that all of us, all 800 of us, would launch into society in successful ways. That's the whole point. And so I was rummaging through and looking through pictures. I'll show you a couple. The first was, you know, our school uh, had a soccer team that went to the state and won the state tournament. How, how many played at athletics in high school? How many athletes do we have? A few athletes, all right. Um, we also, in our school, uh, for all those who are the thespians, who did acting in school? We did the West Side Story. Um, we also, um, anybody learn anything in school? <laughs> I love this academic page where it's like the very first computers are right here. Groundbreaking. Um, this thing called a telephone. It's like, wow, what's that? Also contained in the book are then obviously lots of pages of people, 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 page after page of people, and even on this page, there is somebody you might recognize. Did you find me? I'm the one in the bottom right-hand corner. And you're like, wow, he looks the same. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to go through what I call the yearbook experience of the book of Romans. We're now getting to the very end of the book of Romans, into the 16th chapter. And if you open up to the 16th chapter, you're thinking to yourself, what is here? All this is a list of names and some greetings, and why do we even have this? Well, we have it for very distinct purposes and reasons. I mean, it, it first shows that Paul was a real person writing to a real place, there was real people on the other end of this letter that he was writing to. But there's, oh, so much more we can learn as well. And so we're going to open up um, our Bibles to this list of names and see what is God really trying to show us as he's closing down this letter. We've been spending a lot of time in the book of Romans. Now we get to the 16th chapter. So I'm going to read the first 16 verses. There's going to be a lot of names. I'm not going to put that on anybody else except me. And we're going to read through it, and then we're going to say, what do we do with this? What do we really learn? 
from this list of people. All right, so let's open up God's Word, chapter 16. It'll be on the screen. I'll read, and then we'll make some observations. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplinatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus as well, as chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. Wow, what a mouthful of names. 27 names in total. Let me say this. For all of the doctrinal prowess of Paul, for all the things that he loved of theology, you cannot miss that the Apostle Paul was a people person. He's a people person. This is the longest list of names that he has contained in any of his letters. He has a distinct love for people. He even knew them down to the level of their name. Amazing. So much distance, yet he knew them by name. Now, I know that we don't always do it perfectly, but that's the kind of church we're trying to build here as well, that we know each other by name. We go to long lengths to know people's names. Even behind the scenes as a church staff, you're like, who is that person you met? What was their name? Many hours are talked about through names. Why? Names are important. They're your identity. They're the beginning of who you are. Your name says something about you and your uniqueness. And so that's why I'm kind of really excited about the masks going away so that I can hear people say their names and, and see them once again. It's hard to remember people when you're seeing about this much of them. I'm looking forward to that. 
All right, so where do we begin in this yearbook of names? There's going to be two conversations we're going to have this morning. Uh, two different aspects of what this list really points us to. Uh, there is a, a conversation about unity that we need to have, and there's a conversation about diversity we're going to have out of the list of names, all 27 of them. All right, so let's begin with this conversation about unity. Hopefully you picked up on it when I was reading, but there is a phrase that is repeated over and over and over again when Paul says, in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ, in the Lord. He could have easily said this much more succinctly. He could have saved a lot of space on the parchment, but Paul does not. He goes to great lengths to repeat himself to make a point. He's repeating himself in Christ. He repeats in Christ, in Christ to make a statement and a point. But what does he really want to say? All these people are in the Lord, in Christ. So let's pause here to say, what does all of this mean? Let's start with the word in. What, what is he really meaning by this word of in? Let's pretend for a moment that Tonight at 9 p.m., we're all going to meet at Pastor Jeff's house to throw toilet paper into his trees. Does this sound fun? Who's in? Somebody in on this? All right. All right. I'll see you there. And we could all go around and say, are you in? Are you in on that? That's what Paul's doing here. In means, are you a part of? Are you connected? Are you united to? It's exactly what's going on here when Paul keeps using the word in the Lord, in Christ. Are you in, in, in? Are you connected to Jesus Christ? See, this is what unites all 27 people on the list. Now, we have spent a lot of time unpacking that here at Riverwood. If you're new to our church, welcome. This is week number 31 in the book of Romans. We spent a lot of time talking through all of these things. And it's really important because Paul really makes it very clear in Romans what it means to be in Jesus Christ. I was trying to pick out like one passage that really kind of summarizes it really well. And so if you've missed anything, if I go back to chapter 3, notice what Paul says. He says it so well. In verse 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying this, you and me, all of humanity, you in the front row, back row, watching online, me, all of us, by our very nature, are sinful people. And we are, by definition, unrighteous. And so we are walking through this life on a quest for righteousness. That's what our soul is deeply looking for. 
Where are we going to find it? Maybe we'll find it in being nice to people. Maybe we'll find it in being a good person, outweighing the bad that we have. Maybe that will do it. And the scriptures are so clear that that's not the answer. If you want to find true righteousness, you must find it outside of yourself. And Paul says there's only one place to find it, and that is at the foot of the cross through Jesus Christ and what he did, his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice, so that we could have redemption, forgiveness. And so Paul says, when you are in Christ Jesus, that is what really matters. That is how we can be united as one in Christ Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Paul says it right here, through faith, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's a thing of belief, the mind, the heart, the trust. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you? That is the conversation that Paul is is having here. And so he even says it from last week, that he is satisfied with the church in Rome because he's resting in the knowledge that they are filled with the goodness and the knowledge of the gospel. And that is my heart too. For those who sit in blue chairs and for those who are watching, that is what I so desperately want more than anything else for this church, is for you to be in Christ Jesus to know him as your savior, as the one who paid the penalty for you. And the Bible is very clear. You're either in or you're not. There's not like a, I'm kind of. There's no kind of, partially, partial credit. You are either in Christ, you have given your life to him, or you have not. And so we pause right here to say, if you're sitting here and we talk about these story booklets that are right in front of you, it explains the gospel, the good news that is so important to our church. What we are united in is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about that, take one of those with you, follow up, ask more questions. There couldn't be something, anything that is more important than finding the answer to this, our righteousness in Christ Jesus. All right, so that's the conversation about unity. The church in Rome was united in Christ, in the Lord. All right, so conversation one, unity. Conversation part two is diversity. Diversity. Well, why do we have a conversation about diversity? Well, if we look at the names, and there's been a lot of research done in these names, and experts agree there is great diversity found in lots of areas. I'm going to name just three of them, but let's start here, that there is a diversity of background You see, in the church of Rome, we know that Paul speaks to those who were Jewish and those who were Gentile. And so names speak to this. Priscilla, or Prissa for short, and Aquila were Jewish origin and Jewish names. Other names like Asyncritus and Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, were Gentile names. And so this is what this means. There's a great diversity in the backgrounds of the people who gather together 
Some were coming from Jews, Jewish uh, heritages, where there was lots of, uh, of, of rituals and things that they kept to. And there were some who knew nothing of that. Yet they were together under the banner of Jesus Christ and the gospel in this church. All right, another area of diversity is what I call socioeconomic. Many of the names of the people were once slaves. Ampletus, Urbanus, Julia were common slave names, meaning that in this time era in Rome, many times people put themselves into slavery to pay off certain debts. And so slavery was common, a bond servant. Now, mix that in with other names on the list. Aristobulus, who was most likely the grandson of Herod the Great and the friend of the emperor, who was Claudius. Narcissus was a well-known, rich, and powerful freedman who had exercised great influence on the family of Claudius. All of these connections to the imperial households of Rome, important people, culturally. And then you throw in someone like Rufus, Rufus, he was most likely the son of Simon the Cyrene. Who was he? If you go to the Gospel of Mark, he was the one who carried the cross of Jesus Christ in his last moments. And his son Rufus is now in this church. And so you have a great diversity of people who were poor, people who were rich, people who were well-known, and people who weren't so well-known. Yet they were coming together under the banner of of Christ. Interesting. All that to say, there's another area of diversity of the church that is very remarkable that Paul is, is speaking about. And really, this third area is really, really interesting to me. Because this third area of diversity is what I call that this diversity of, of gender. Now, why is that important? Like, what's going on here? Well, if you've noticed, one-third of all the names I read, nine of them, are names of women. Phoebe was the one who probably brought the letter to Rome from Sancria. She lived there and probably brought the letter to Rome to the church. Other names of women, Priscilla and Junia and Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those two are probably sisters. Persis, and then the mother of Rufus and Julia and Nereus. And so this is remarkable. Why is it remarkable? Because we really have to understand what is going on in the first century context and to give you a snapshot of what life was like, you really have to understand this Latin word. Anytime you look at this first century, what was it like for a woman, this Latin word is always inserted. And the Latin word is patra familias, which means father of the family, which this is what it means, that when you were born as a girl into a family, you were under the rule and subjugation of your father. And at some point, you would then be under the rule and subjugation of your husband. This is what life was like. Even in the culture that Paul wrote, even finding literary sources on what life was like as a woman is so difficult because it didn't exist. Women were looked down upon. They were not respected. They couldn't own land. 
all they ever were expected to do was bear children and work in the home. And so always, always, always under the legal status of a man. And so to give you kind of a flavor of that, there is a tombstone that was written in the first century. And this is coming from a source book from our our very own Dr. Brian Harvey, who wrote a source book on Roman culture. But listen to this tombstone, and it really epitomizes what it was like for women in the first century. Stranger, my message is short. Stop and read it through. This is the unlovely tomb of a lovely woman. Her parents named her Claudia. She loved her husband with her whole heart. She bore two sons. Of these, she leaves one on earth. She has placed the other under the earth. She was charming in her mannerisms, yet proper in bearing. She kept house. She made wool. Goodbye. That's what it was like in the first century. And so that's why I often say that it is you have to know the context of these passages. It's critical to gaining understanding so that when we look at this list of what's going on here and how women were really treated, to really understand what Paul is doing in his yearbook with women is so significant. He is championing the role of women. He is highlighting them. He is supporting them. Even in the fine details of how he wrote, he is saying something pro-woman. Why do I say that? In a paterfamilia society, when you would come to a husband and wife and you would write about them, who would you put first when you would order them? The husband. Paul never does that with Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila is always mentioned second groundbreaking. It's a small detail, but it says significant things about what he really thought about women. And then you look about Junia. He says that she is well known among the apostles. Well, why would they care? Why would they care about a woman? And Phoebe entrusted to carry this important document to Rome. Tryphena and Tryphosa and Petras are hard workers for the gospel. Hard workers? Who cares? I'll tell you who cares. The apostle Paul cared. Paul cares deeply for women. In a culture that was basically saying all that women were ever good for is childbearing, Paul says something radical. Come and serve Come and be a part of what God is doing. There is kingdom work to be done right here. Come and be a part of it. And so I find it so interesting and frankly disappointing that in our culture, many times people want to go to the Bible, they want to look at the Apostle Paul and use this kind of language like he's so restrictive, he's so outdated, he is so chauvinistic, the Bible. If Paul were standing right here, do you know what he would say? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He was breaking new ground for women in the church. And so as a church, now Riverwood, we want to champion the role of women too. And I know there's, there's pain 
on this subject, because maybe you grew up in a tradition where women were looked down upon or excluded. I want you to know that we understand that story, and we want to champion the role of women right here in our own church. You see, God's word says that there is equality in our essence. I mean, even Paul would say there is neither Greek nor Jew, uh, free or a slave, male or female. We are, we are one in our essence before our holy God, never to look down upon one another. And God's word also says that there is now this, this complement of giftedness that is to come together. Men are, are to lead, whether it's in their homes or in church. You look at the, the qualifications for an overseer, an elder, that's a heavy, heavy responsibility that God calls men to. And then beyond that, he says, men and women, use your giftedness for the kingdom. What, how has he gifted you? Use it. Get involved. Be a part of what God is doing to further the kingdom right where you are. It's a beautiful story of what he is doing in the midst with his diverse group of people for his purposes. And like Paul had the Priscilla's and the Phoebe's and the Junia's, I am grateful for the women of this church who are doing gospel work. I think of the Margaret's who, who lead so well in our food pantry, feeding people, sharing the gospel with people. It's remarkable. I think of the Cindy's of our church who love numbers, who understand spreadsheets better than I ever will and who bring gospel work to finances. I think of the Sarahs of our church, who love God's word, who love women, who teach with excellence. It's beautiful, gospel-centered work. Now, all that to say, you might have more questions, and I would love to come alongside and answer those for you. You might have listened to something. I know we're running out of time, and you're thinking, well, I got this question and that question. We're all about answering questions. If you have more things you want to pursue, please do that, either through an email or even in person after the service. I would love to speak with you more. But we want to be a place, much like where the Apostle Paul was saying, yes, come and serve. In this diversity of giftedness, in the background that you have, in the socioeconomic background that you have, in the gender you have, come, let's do gospel work together. There's a lot of work to be done. The workers are few. The harvest right here in Kent, Ohio is plentiful. Be a part of what God is doing. All right, so there's a conversation about unity. There's a conversation about diversity. Now what do we do with it? Well, here's what we do. What caught my attention were all the verbs that are used to describe this unique people group here in Romans. And there's a phrase that I kept coming back to. It's this, that unity and diversity gives way to action for the kingdom. Unity and diversity gives way to action for the kingdom. That's what you notice here. The word that stands out more than any other is this, that they were people who were working, 
worked. They worked in the Lord, workers for the Lord. Worked, 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 worked. There was action. And so along the way, I start asking lots of questions of myself personally that you could probably ask of yourself. Here's one of them. Am I doing gospel work? See, that's a, a personal question that you could sit down and spend time saying, okay, this is how I am. Am I doing gospel work? Or am I just living my life for myself? Or am I doing gospel work? And it could look a million ways, but are we serious about how God has gifted us in our diversity under the banner of the cross to do work for his kingdom? Am I doing gospel work with my life? Life is short. The harvest is plentiful. Am I doing gospel work? If you're wondering, like, what are those next steps of maybe jumping in, go to our website, you go to the tab, next steps, and there's lots of potential areas to jump in and serve. Maybe God might be calling you, drawing you to one of those areas. All right, that's one of the verbs. Another verb that's found in the list uh, is this idea found in verses 3 and 4 with Aquila and Priscilla, a couple who risked their lives. Notice what it said, they risked their necks for Paul, a people who then also opened up their home for ministry to happen. So unity and diversity gives way to action for the kingdom. Here's another question just to, just to ponder. Am I stepping out in faith for the gospel? In a Priscilla and Aquila way, are we stepping out to see what only the Lord can do? Or is everything in our lives very calculated, very safe? These were people who were like, the Apostle Paul, the gospel, we're with him. Oh, he's getting killed? We're still with him. Our house, it, it's open 24-7. Come, here the gospel. Catch a meal. We want to be with you. See, there were people stepping out in faith. They didn't really see the end. How's this going to turn out? I'm not quite sure, but I want to obediently follow the Lord in these things. Am I stepping out in faith for the gospel? Unity, diversity makes, gives way to action. All right, here's another verb for you. I finally see this in the example of the mother of Rufus, who in verse 13 says that she was a, a second mother to Paul. She cared for him in very unique ways, like a son. It wasn't really her son, but she loved him that way. And so an example of that leads to questions like, another question like this, like, am I loving others in the church well. Like, when you come to this place or maybe a small group, do you see others' kids as your kids? Like, I am a second mom to these kids because we're under the banner of the cross. Or I see these people in church as my grandkids. Or I'm, I'm the uncle that everybody loves. I'm going to love your kids too. Like, do we have a love and care and concern for us that is unique and different because we are brothers and sisters in Christ? Going out of our way. This is what the gospel does. It takes action out of our unity and diversity to do something for his kingdom. 
Lots of questions, lots of things to ponder at a, at a deeper level. But this is what, what the yearbook of, in the Church of Rome looked like. It's interesting, a snapshot of what people were wrestling with in that moment of time. And you know what? There is a yearbook here as well of our church, the snapshot of time. It would have all of our pictures in it, and we would flip through, and we would tell the stories of, oh, oh what's that person doing? How are they connected? I mean, we're all under the banner of Christ, right? We're in the Lord, are we? I mean, we're so diverse. You went to this school. I went to this school. I, I, all of these things of diversity and even our differences of gender all coming together for a beautiful story of the gospel flourishing right here in Kent, Ohio. What's he doing with you? What's he doing through you? How is he challenging you even in this moment to be pondering deeper things for his kingdom purposes? See, we're going to sing some songs and and even have times where we can just kind of reflect on these things that might have stuck out to you. My encouragement is that you engage with God's word, even in a list of names, and to see where he might be leading you in further conversation, in further direction for his purposes. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And even in the midst of a list of names, we find that there is real beauty as we see a, a very specific example of a church in Rome. And it reminds us of our own church, the diversity of people, uh, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. And then laid before both of these churches is the wonderful work to be done I pray you would help us in our work, in our actions. Give us clarity, give us boldness, endurance to see the things you want us to see, to to not sit on the sidelines, but to be the kinds of people who see the unity and diversity of your gospel moving us to action right here. We want to serve you. We want to see others know the King, Jesus Christ. Help us in this journey together. We pray all of these things by the power of your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.